Okay, we're learning Daf Yud. We're starting from the bottom Mishnah Testament base. Three lines up in the bottom. Another A and B. There's nothing between A and B. The tangent that we've been discussing for the last four or five blot here. So the Mishnah says, Ein bein Shiloh Yerushalayim. There's no difference, there's no distinction between the Dinam and Shiloh and Yerushalayim. Shiloh is the Mishkan which stood for 369 years. Um, and then there were 57 years between when it was destroyed and when the base of Mikdash was built on Yerushalayim. So the, Shiloh essentially is like a, a Mishkan. That's what it is. It's, it's not a Bama. It's an actual, it's an actual Mishkan. Actual Asherah Sashchina there. So there's no difference between the laws of Shiloh and the laws of the base of Mikdash. Ella, the only distinction is in the city of Shiloh, the Din is that you eat Kachim Kalam and Maishashini not in any location that's inside of the city. You eat it anywhere where you can see the city. It's very interesting halacha. Uh, the Gemara in Zvachim has a drasha for this. That in Yerushalayim, Lefnim and Achoma, as the next line says, Yerushalayim, you can only eat Maizu Shani and Kachim Kalam when you're inside the city walls. Only when you're in the city does the Kedusha of the city allow you to eat. In the Rebbeis HaMikdash's Kedusha spreads in a certain degree throughout the whole city. The city of Yerushalayim is Kadosh. So if you're inside the city walls, you can eat the Kachim Kalam and Maizu Shani. But Shiloh has a greater span where you could eat. You could eat it not only in the city of Shiloh itself, but any place where you're able to see Shiloh. And that's, again, it comes from Midrashah. Another halacha, the Kachim That's all true for Kachim Kalam. You could eat it anywhere in the city or anywhere where you could see Shiloh. But for Kachim Kachim, the, holy, the holier types of Karbanos, like Chatos and Asham, where the Kohanim eat the meat, there they're expected to eat the meat where? In the actual base of Mikdash, in the actual Azara. So there, there are curtains that surround the Azara, and only within the confines of the curtain themselves as a person able to eat kachim, kachim, kachim. A further idea, Kedusha Shiloh, the Kedusha of Shiloh, top of the Aleph, Yish Achra Heter. There was a Heter afterwards. A Heter for what? A Heter for Bamos, meaning after the 369 years of Shiloh, there were, 70, there were 57 years before Shlomo built the base of Mikdash. In those 57 years, when the Aaron was moving around and this, there was, there was a Bamos and, 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 and Nov and Givon, but there was no Mishkan. During that time, there was a Heter for Bama. Anyone could bring a carbon wherever they would like. The Kedusha of Yerushalayim, but says our Mishnah, the Kedusha of Yerushalayim, in Achra Heter. There's never a Heter after the Kedusha of Yerushalayim. Once Shlomo was Mekadosh, the base of Mikdash, that was the end ever of the Heter of Bamas. Even once the base of Mikdash was destroyed, there's no Heter anymore to bring a carbon in your backyard. The whole Heter of Bamas, the last time it happened, was before the base of Mikdash was built. Once the base of Mikdash was, re- was rebuilt, that was the end. Even after its destruction, the Heter of Bamos did not come back. So the Gemara jumps all over this. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak, the Amor says, Shamati, I heard that they're bringing a Karbanos to Hashem in Beis Chonyo. Beis Chonyo is a temple of sorts, a big shul, a big Jewish culture place in Alexandria. And it was during the... It was, it was built during the times of the Second Temple, but it continues. And after, even after the Romans destroyed the Temple in Yerushalayim, but the base Chonyo of this place here in Egypt still was around. So Rabbi Yitzchak says, he says, you know, even today in our day and age, where the Temple is no longer standing in this and that, but people are still bringing offerings. Where are they bringing offerings? They're bringing it in base Chonyo. What's the pshat? First of all, because our base Chonyo lava is of the Zara. First of all, it's not a place of idolatry. It's a dispute in the Gemara Menachos if it's really a house of idolatry or a place where they're really doing the right thing. So we must be that, first of all, it's functioning correctly. It's, it's good. It's for Hashem. Second of all, is that when Shlomo was Mekadish Yerushalayim, that original Kedusha that was there in the Makam of the Beis HaMikdash, he was Mekadish only for its time, while the Beis HaMikdash would stand. But it was not for future times. It's not forever. It's only the Kedusha is there only as long as the Beis HaMikdash stood. But once the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, then the Kedusha is gone. And if the Kedusha is gone, then what? Then the Hetzer of the Bama should come back. 
So Rabbi Yitzchak is really disagreeing with what our Mishnah said. Our Mishnah said that the Kedusha of Yerushalayim has no hetter afterwards, no hetter there, even after the destruction of the, of the base of Mikdash. That, that hetter, the Bama does not come back. Rabbi Yitzchak is saying that it does. And he derives this idea from a Pasuk. Where do we know at all in the Torah that you're allowed to bring Karbanos? So it comes to the Pasuk in Parshas, right? The Pasuk says it's a difficult Pasuk. You haven't yet come to the Menucha and the Nachla. So the, what's going on there, I'm just going to tell you the Jerusha that the Gemara makes in, in, in Menachas is that Moshe Rabbeinu was in the desert. In the desert, there was no Hatar Obama. There, were, there was a Mishkan. They had to come and bring sacrifices, offerings only in the Mishkan. Moshe says, but, but when you get into Israel, you're going to have a Hatar Obama because there's not going to be a Mishkan right away. There were 14 years before Shiloh came around. Kilo Boston, we haven't yet come. El Ata. Until now, to the resting place, Zushilo. So until Shiloh is around, you could bring you could bring um, you could bring Karbanos and Obama and Tanakhla. Nachla is Yerushalayim, meaning and after Shiloh is destroyed, you'll have a Heter Obama until Yerushalayim. So it says that you'll have a Heter Obama both before Shiloh and both before Yerushalayim, and those facts are clear. But says Rabbi Yitzchak, if they're compared to each other, by putting them together, you could also compare the status after Shiloh to the status after Yerushalayim. Just as Shiloh, there was a heter of the Bama after Shiloh was destroyed in those 57 years. So too, so too for the inheritance, the Kedusha of Yerushalayim, there's a heter after Yerushalayim is destroyed. So what Rabbi Yitzchak is doing is making a drasha. He's, he's expounding based upon the connection of Shiloh to Jerusalem. Just as there was a heter of Bama before and after Shiloh, so too there was a heter of Bama before and after Jerusalem. So once Jerusalem was destroyed, the heter of the Bama comes back. So Rabbi Yitzchak is saying, if someone wants to bring an offering, in some other location besides Jerusalem, they are in fact allowed to do this. That's what Rabbi Yitzchak says. So Amrulay, Amrit, they, 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 they heard it from Rabbi Yitzchak. They said, Did you really say that, Amrulay? He said, No, 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 I didn't say this. Meaning he, could, he retracted the statement that he really, you cannot bring Karbanas Bismanas. Amr Rabba, Rabba says, Hello, him. He says, I promise in God's name, I heard it and I learned it from him. So if he did say it, so why is he saying he didn't? Why did he retract? Because Ramari came in and he started asking questions. Demosiv Mar Mari, Mari asked, asked on Rabbi Yitzchak from what exactly the way it contradicted our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says, Kedusha Shiloh Yeshach Rehater. The Kedusha of Shiloh, there's a Hater of the Bama after it's destroyed. Kedusha Yerushalayim in Rehater. Whereas when it comes to Kedusha of Yerushalayim, there's no Hater after it's destroyed. It remains also. So the Mishnah clearly is saying that there's a distinction between Shiloh and, and Yerushalayim. Even though Shiloh had a Hater of Bama after it was destroyed, Yerushalayim did not. So Rabbi Yitzchak's statement is just straight up against our Mishnah. Our Mishnah is saying Yerushalayim's Kedusha is forever. Furthermore, we have another Mishnah, Mishnah Zvachim. The Mishnah says, Mishabal Yerushalayim Nesra Bamas. From the time of Jewish history that the temple was built in Yerushalayim, Bamas became forbidden. There was never again a time in Jewish history when Bamas would ever be permitted again. Yerushalayim is the inheritance which the Torah is referring to again in that Pasuk and Parshas, right? So, bottom line is, we see that it's not true. We see that Karbanos are Aser. And what's the idea? The idea is that the Kedusha that Shlomo gave to the base of Mikdash was not only Kaddosh for its time while the temple stood. The Kedusha is there forever. That's the idea. The Kedusha of Shiloh was only temporary. It was only while the Mishkan stood. After the Mishkan was destroyed, then there was a Hetzer in those 57 years. But Yerushalayim is distinct. Yerushalayim is, 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 is the absolute inheritance. The place of Kedusha is eternal and therefore there's never again a Hetzer of Bama. Says the Gemara Tanahi. Let's, let's try to 
say that instead of quickly rejecting Rabbi Yitzchak, let's just say that even though the Mishnah said not like him, but maybe there's a different Tana who does say like him. Maybe in truth it's a Machlokas Tana. Tana. We get to a Mishnah, a Mishnah in Edios. Amar Rabbi Lezer. Rabbi Lezer is quoting a tradition that he heard about the way that the second temple was rebuilt. So we're talking about the time when the builders in the second temple, the time of the Persians, are rebuilding the temple. Shamati, I heard that when they were building the sanctuary again in the second base of Mikdash, Osin Klam Leicho, Uklam Lazar, they made curtains for the Hegel and curtains for the Azaras. The Hegel is like the inner house, right, where the Kodesh and Kodesh Kadashim is, and the Azar is the outer courtyard. So they made curtains both around the Hegel and they made curtains around the whole Azar as well. And the point of the curtains was that they were temporary walls while they were building the real walls. They didn't have the real walls yet, but they were making uh, um, little like makeshift walls out of the curtains uh, to function during the building process. Now the building process took a long time. By the way, the you know work got halted and this and that. You need permits and everything. Literally, it was a lot of Persian um, uh, per- Persian influence here, stopping, starting. It wasn't easy. But during the time that they were building, they always had the curtains up so that it could function as a base of mikdash while it was still. Now, there was a distinction. In the case of the Hechol, they built the walls on the outside of the curtains, meaning they put the curtains and then they didn't want to do the work inside of the Hechol. It's disrespectful, right? Whatever is inside of the curtains is the Hechol. So they built the, 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 they made the curtains on the inside and then they built the walls on the outside so that they were doing the people, the workers were working, they weren't working inside of the Hechol. In the case of the Azara, they built the wall on the inside and that's not necessarily a problem. The, in this case, the curtain was across the inner edge so that the, the workers were actually, um, so that the workers, I'm sorry, in the case, in the, the Azar was, was on the outer edge, so that the workers were standing inside of the Azar when they were making the wall. So interesting distinction. In the Hechel, you don't want the workers standing in the Hechel, so they built it that way. But in the outside, they, they, they had the curtains going on the, on, the, on the outer edge, and then the workers were inside of the Azar when they were building the walls. So the point is, according to Rabbi Lazar is saying, is that it was very important that they put up makeshift curtains while they were making the walls of the second temple. We'll see in a little bit the significance of more of this. For Amr Rabbi Yeshua, then Rabbi Yeshua responds to this with a comment that it's hard to understand what it has to do with Rabbi Lezer's comment. Rabbi Yeshua is responding and he says, Shamati, I heard, you know what I heard? I heard that you can bring a carbon in the base of Mikdash even if there is no base of Mikdash. Meaning even when the base of Mikdash is destroyed, it's possible to have a krava of a carbon in the holiness of that spot. Why? Because the Kedusha is always there. So theoretically, if everything works out and you have all the Toma and Tahara and the, and the Big Day Kuna and everything and you're good to go, you can bring a carbon in the holy spot of the base of Mikdash. As it did, like you're bringing a carbon in the base of Mikdash, even if the edifice itself is destroyed. Oh, and Kachim Kalam, Yishen Kalam. The Kohenim can eat Kachim Kalam in the Azari, even if there's no curtains. Why is this? Kachim Kalam, Yishen Yishen Kalam. And more, the Kachim Kalam, Yishen can be eaten in Yishen even without the wall. Why are all these things true? Because the sanctity that Shlomo HaMelech gave to Yerushalayim is eternal. So even when the edifice is destroyed and the walls come down and all those things happen, but the Kedusha is always there. Rabbi Yeshua is saying the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash is eternal. Whether the walls are there or not there, curtains, it makes no difference. The Kedusha is always there. Rabbi Yeshua makes that point and he's responding to Rabbi Eliezer. So what happened here? Let's get a good picture of what happened. Rabbi Eliezer is saying that when they built the base of Mikdash, they had to be careful to make sure that, well, that they made new curtains. Before the walls were up, they had to be careful to make new curtains to ensure that there were, that were, that there were curtains there before the walls were up. And Rabbi Yeshua is responding to that and he's saying, what are you talking about? You don't need curtains. 
the Kedusha is there even without the curtain. So what's Pshat? That's the analysis. Rabbi Lezer holds that the Kedusha of Shlomo HaMelech is not eternal. It was only while the temple was there. Once the temple was destroyed, the Kedusha is left. You cannot bring a carbon without the structure being there. So well, the whole entire time that they were rebuilding the second temple, could they bring carbonos? No, unless they would build makeshift curtains and the makeshift curtains would give it like a temporary edifice of the base of Mikdash being there and they were able to bring Karbanos because of those curtains. So Rabbi Eliezer is saying that while the work was taking a long time and halted and started this and that, so when they were smart, they put up curtains because at least when you put up curtains, you're giving a Kedusha again. You have a new base of Mikdash. If they wouldn't have put up curtains, they wouldn't have been able to bring any Karbanos during the time that they were rebuilding because the Kedusha was lost once the base of Mikdash was destroyed. Says Rabbi Yeshua, you think that the Kedusha was lost and that's why they had to put up curtains. It's not true. The Kedusha is eternal. Kedusha is Kitsha Lashayta forever and therefore there wouldn't be any needs to put up new curtains in order to bring carbonos before the walls are complete that's what the Gemara is assuming the Machlokas is so we were learning about whether Kitsha lost the level in regard to could I have a heter of the Bama after the base of Mikdash is destroyed could I bring a carbon in my backyard after the base of Mikdash is no longer there if low Kitsha lost the I could if Kitsha lost the level I cannot now we're coming around that this issue will give us another dispute if I'm in the base of Mikdash but the walls are not there could I bring a carbon and say I'm bringing a carbon in the base of Mikdash? If I hold Kishalas at Lavo, yes. If low Kishalas at Lavo, no. So the Gemara thinks that that's the Pshad. Rabbi Lazar is saying they made curtains during this time in order to bring carbonos before the walls were up. And Rabbi Yeshua is responding and saying there's no need to do that. The Kedusha is there forever. So the Gemara says it's not true. How do you know that's the right Machlokas? Everybody agrees. Even Rabbi Eliezer agrees that the Kedusha is forever. And everybody agrees that Bamas are Asr today. I, why are they making curtains? They're not arguing on each other. There's no dispute here between Rabbi Eliezer and Mishra. Rabbi Eliezer is having, he's saying, you know, I remember traditionally that I'm hearing that they built curtains. And Rabbi Yeshua is saying, I remember traditionally that you're allowed to bring Karbanos even if there's no base on Mikdash. They're not arguing. They're, they're just reporting different testimonies. And if you're going to be bothered, what's the purpose of these curtains? Because in other words, initially we thought the purpose of the curtains was to give Kedusha because the Kedusha went away when the temple was destroyed. But if now we're arguing that even Rabbi Eliezer holds that the Kedusha is there forever, so what are the curtains at all? Let's news about He's just saying that they made privacy. That's all it was. They were building the walls. They didn't want everybody staring at the project, staring at the workers, so on and so forth. So they made, they made these curtains to protect for the Kohen and for the privacy when they were doing the Avodah that no one should be able to see what they were doing. That's the Gansa Maisha here with the curtains. The curtains are not rebuilding the Kedusha. The Kedusha was forever. When Shalom HaMelech was Makadosh, it never went away afterwards. So the Gemara is defending that really everybody holds the Kedusha is forever. So if there is a Machlokas Tanoim, we don't have it from there. So as the Gemara, Elokiyani Tanoi, rather we could find the dispute from these Tanoim. The Tanoim says in the Bible, Rabbi Shmuel Barbiusi, why did the Chachamim in the Mishnah count these cities? So what are we talking about? We have a Mishnah in Erechim. The Mishnah in Erechim tells us all the cities that have the din of Bate Erechim. Remember, Bate Erechim are walled cities in, the, in Israel, have a different status for the laws of selling and redeeming. A lot of interesting halachas from Parshish Bahar. So the Mishnah there tells us what cities have the Kedusha of Bate Erechim. So the question is, why is it only a few cities that are mentioned when if you look in Sefer Yehoshua, you'll see that Yehoshua sanctified many different walled cities. In the times of Yehoshua and the original Kibashar, the original conquest, there are many different walled cities. So why is the mission Erechin only enumerating a few walled cities? What happened to all the ones from Sefer Yehoshua? The answer is, when the second people, when the Jews returned to Israel in the times of Ezra, they returned from Babel, they found these specific cities and they, and they, and they made them holy. 
But the original conquest of Yeshua, which was Makadish, a lot more cities, that was nullified once the exile came. So in other words, whatever Yeshua did is irrelevant because once there was Golis Bavel and the Jews were kicked out, all, every, all the Kedusha was gone. There's no more Kedusha Bata the Jews are kicked out. The Kedusha wasn't forever. Now when the people in the second return, in the times of Ezra come back, they decided which ones to be Mekadosh and which ones not to be Mekadosh. It follows now what Ezra did. It doesn't make a difference what it says in Sefer Yehoshua. So what's the takeaway from that Mishnah? Clearly what they were did in the times of Yehoshua was not forever. The Kedusha that was made there to the Bata Yechoma is not forever type of Kedusha. It's temporary only in the time when the Jews were there. Once the exile came, that Kedusha was gone. Now it depends what, what cities have, have Kedusha, whatever the B'nai HaGola, whatever Ezra and his people were Mekadesh. So we see very clearly that there is a dissenting view. Maybe we brought a bunch of Tanam, our Mishnah, and all these people before who held that the Kedusha is forever. But this one Tana and the Mishnah and Erechin holds very clearly that the Kedusha is not forever. So in truth, it's really a Machlokas Tanam. Says the Gemara, what's the problem here? This was quoted in the name of Rabbi Shmuel bar Rabbi Yossi. So says the Gemara, moving forward, or a minute, we can make a contradiction in something else Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yossi, said. It says in another Brisa, he says, he's also commenting on the same idea that the Mishnah only mentions a few walled cities. So he says, what's up that there's only a few walled cities or many more walled cities from the time of Yoshua? How is on the Mishnah only listing a few? It says in between the Torah and this and that and, and Yoshua that there were over 60 cities that were conquered, that were walled cities. They all were fortified. So we see there are many more walled cities from the time of Yeshua. Why did the Chachamim mona these in the Mishnah Erechim? So we start off saying pretty much the same answer. When the Bnei Agola came up in the time of Ezra, they found these ones and they sanctified them. Now, if you would just stop there, it would be great. It's exactly like what we said before. The problem is that we know the end of the Brisa, and the end of the Brisa is going to basically... Um, it's going to basically tell you that black and white, that they didn't have to re-sanctify them. So first the Gemara just gets to that really quickly. The Gemara amends the text. Kitchim, does the Brisa actually mean they have to sanctify them top of them at base? Hashto, they have to do it again now in the times when, they, when they're returning from the exile. You're going to see in the very Brisa, in the end of the Brisa, the Gemara is just foreshadowing. It's about to show it to you that, that anything that you know from the time of Yeshua, that's a walled city, has Kedushas Batar Echoma. It does not depend on what the Bnei HaGola did. So how could the Girsa be that the Bnei HaGola sanctified them if we're going to see very clearly in one line that they didn't have to. So the Gemara amends the text. They just found these cities and they counted them, meaning they didn't re-sanctify them. No, they didn't have to re-sanctify them. The Kedusha for the times of Yeshua was eternal. They just counted these. Now, when they were counting them, they were just giving examples. In truth, it's not only these cities that have the Kedusha. As long as you have a tradition from your ancestors. If you get a specific city and you have a tradition that the city was surrounded by a wall from the time of Yeshua, then all the unique criteria of applies to that city. Because the initial sanctification is for his time and as Makadish forever. So after all is said and done and we clean up this price, so what do we see? The exact opposite of what we said before in the name of Rishmael Barabiosi. Before we said in the name of Rishmael Barabiosi, what did we say? That the Kedusha Bateri Choma went away at the time of, went away at the time of the exile. The Bnei Agola had to be Makadish again. And that's why the Mishnah only mentioned a few of them because it was different from the time Yeshua was. It's irrelevant what Yeshua did. The second price here is saying otherwise. The second price is saying that it's just examples, but the truth is anything that you know from the time of Yeshua that has a walled city has Kedushas Bateri So there's a huge dispute, not only 
is it historical? Did they have to sanctify it again? But it's also, if they, did they choose to make those same decisions? If they had to be re-sanctified, we see that the one approaches and they didn't sanctify every walled city. So there's a limited scope to what's about the Erechoma today. We don't care what the times of Yeshua. Whereas if you hold Kitchen lost the level that it was eternal, then the Kedusha, what was done in the times of Yeshua is eternal. So there are many more about the Erechoma. We have a tremendous dispute on our hands. The problem is, it's the same person talking. So the Gemara says, Kashra Yishma, Yishma. We have a Kastira. They're both the name of Yishma, son of Rabbi Yossi. What's going on? So the Gemara says, We could say that they're both, Rabbi Yishma, Rabbi Yossi was being quoted differently by two different students and they were being quoted differently. It wasn't that he contradicted himself, but rather there were different versions of what he said. The later price uh, that says that what? That it was eternal. That comes from Rabbi Lazar, the son of Rabbi Yossi. Not, 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 and it wasn't really Rabbi Yishmael, the son of Rabbi Yossi. Where do we see this? The Tanya says in the price, the Pasuk says, what's about the Erechoma? Asher lo choma, that it has a wall. Now lo in Hebrew, lamed vav means it has, right? It has. But lamed aleph means it does not. The Pasuk actually is written lamed vav aleph. So it's pronounced lo, but there's an aleph there. So we expound, even if the wall is currently not there, as long as it once had a wall, it's considered a walled city because the Kedusha doesn't go away. So we see that that Tana is expounding from the verse that it doesn't go away. So it's reasonable that it's actually, it was a mistake to say Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi. Really, the person was Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yossi. So it sounds like the Maskanov and the Gemara, many, most Tana in favor of the idea of Kitshalasu Lavo, that's the way our Mishnah said, that's the way the Bama, that's the reason the Bamas are also Bismanah says, so on and so forth. It seems that there, are, though, there is some Tana out there who that low kitchen and there had to be a new sanctification in the times of Ezra. Now, I'm going to make a really important point here because this is the end of the sugya. How do we paskin? We put the Ramam paskins kitchen right? That's why how many people are not allowed to go on the Temple Mount today. The Ramam says because kitchen the Kedusha is there. But Edson, theoretically, you could bring a carbon there to Zbanazet. It's hard, but the Tumma and the Big Day Kahuna of Ahule, but you say that Dover, you could. That's the way the Ramam paskins. All right, fine, very good. Kitchen Lasso level. Pamos are also outside the base of Mikdash. Everything is clear. The Kedusha of the Temple is forever. But the Rambam says that that whole discussion of Kitsha Lasa Lavo, we should be very careful where we apply it. It's all about the Kedusha of the Temple. And in turn, the Kedusha of the city of Jerusalem, which is the city that houses the Temple. And the Rambam touches it up. What's the Pshat? The Kedusha is still there because the Kedusha comes from the Shechina. And the Shechina never left. Even when the Beis Amish was destroyed, the Rambam brings from a Medrash, right? It's interesting. He like goes on a real big tangent in the Arachazaka. The Shechina is still present in the base of Mikdash. That's why the Kedusha is lost level. That's why there's Kedusha today. Because the Kedusha is, is derived from the source of the Shechina being, being coming there and the Shechina is still there. That's what the Ramam writes. The Ramam contrasts that to the Kedusha of the land of Israel. The Kedusha of the land in Israel. For example, Trumos, Meiser, Shemitah, so on and so forth. Those laws have nothing to do with the presence of the Shechina. That has nothing to do with that. The land became holy in the times of Yehoshua before there ever was was a temple and Ashras Ashkina in the temple. That has to do with the kibush, with the conquering, with the conquest of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Says the Rambam, that's an entirely different discussion. The kibush of Yehoshua was entirely bottle in the time of the exile. Let's say during the Gullus Bavel in those 70 years, there was no Kedusha anymore, Midaraisa for Trimus and Maestros. It has to do, it's a different thing. One is about the land, one is about the temple. You shouldn't compare the two. And even though the Gemara in Chagigo uses the same words that we want to know is, you know, the land, Kalash, the Kachal, the Shaitz, the the level, is what Yeshua sanctified the land. Is it Kaddish forever or not? The Gemara uses Mamish the same words, but the Ramah Mamish comes and he's machalik between them. It's not the same sugya, which makes sense. It's piercingly logical that that's true. One is a din in the temple and one is a din in the land. What, who says it's the same thing? That's what the Ramah writes. The big question on the Ramah is really from the Gemara that we just learned. Our Gemara compared the sanctity of the walled cities, the Kedusha of the Bate Arechoma, which has also nothing to do with the Shechina and is also all from the Kivash of Yeshua and has nothing to do with Shlomo HaMelech. The Gemara 
Gemara compared that to the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash. The issue of the Beis HaMikdash being eternally holy and the issue of the Batei Arichoma being eternally holy, the Gemara compared. So if the Gemara compared the Kedusha Batei Arichoma to the Beis HaMikdash, then who's to say that the Kedusha Saris is any different? That's a very strong question on the Rambam. But Lamaisa, we have to be careful what we take out of this Gemara. The Iker focus of our Gemara was definitely on the Beis HaMikdash. Says the Gemara. Now we, now we get on uh, just big tangents here. All right. Says the Gemara, we're going to dash in the Megillah. A lot of Agadah here. It was in the times of Achashverosh. And some people say, Rabbi Yonasan say, We have a tradition for Wherever the word Vahi appears in scripture, it foreshadows something bad is going to happen. The Pasuk continues, there was a famine. Hashem saw that the people started acting quickly. They went and they built Megdal So wherever it says Vayihi, bad things are happening. The Pasuk goes on to say there was a war. It says that there was a sword, there was an enemy. Then Pasuk says that people stole from the, from the booty of wars. What does it say afterwards? The Pasuk continues that his sons did not continue in his ways. David was succeeded and Hashem was with him. What did the Pasuk say? Right? And Shaul was jealous and there were bad problems. When David was sitting in his house, what was he told? You're not going to build the base of Mikdash. So the Gemara just listed a bunch of examples in scripture where after saying the language, and it was, bad things happened. Frek the Gemara, is that a real conclusive rule of Haksev, Aiba Yomashmini? Right? Aiba Yomashmini, the day the Mishkan was inaugurated. Vitanya says in Baruch The day of the inauguration of the temple was a joyous day in front of Hashem. It was as joyous as the day of creation. And the proof is because it says, So we compare the Vayahis and we say just as Vayahis in creation were joyous days, so too the Vayahi of the inauguration of the temple was a good day. Says the Gemara, no, it's not a question. Nadavanaviu ended up dying, right? It destroyed the whole celebration. It ended up being a tragic day, so it's good with the rule. Says the Gemara, still, is every Vayihi bad? It says it was in the 480th year when the Jews were in Israel. What does it go on to say? That Shlomo built the temple. Another Pasuk, that's obviously a good thing. Vagsev also says in another Pasuk, What happened there? Good things. The first time Yaakov encountered Rachel, he hugs her, he kisses her, it's a good thing. Anything wrong with that? The first day of creation, all the days of creation say it was, it was day and night and everything was good there. Basically, we see a bunch of contexts whereby he is appearing in a good way. Just the word Vayhi itself, you're right, it's inconclusive. Sometimes it's good things are happening, sometimes bad things are happening. Vayhi Bimei, wherever it uses the word Vayhi Bimei, it was in the days, in Olash That's where it's a bad thing. So by the Chashverosh, here it's Vayhi Bimei. That's why it's foreshadowing a bad thing. Chamisha Vayhi Bimei The Gemara says that in Tanakh, there are five instances where it says Vayhi Bimei. Vayhi Bimei Chashverosh, Vayhi Bimei Shvosh Hashoptim, Vayhi Bimei Mafel, Vayhi Bimei Achaz, Vayhi Bimei and in all of those five instances, bad things happened. Okay, now that we learned one piece, one thing you gotta state, just buckle your seatbelt here for the next six daf when we're on all this flying agarata through the Megillah. One thing is there's a lot of tangents which are coming from the same name as the person who said the last thing. So this is the next thing, Amar Avi Levi. Last thing was Rabbi Levi. So we say another thing from Rabbi Levi. We have another thing that is a tradition from our fathers. 
Amos and Amatia, Achmava. Amos and Amatia were brothers. Now, Amos was the father of Yeshaya. Amatia was the king of Yehuda. So it's a Chiddush to us, just historically in the family tree here, that Amos and Amatia, one being the father of Yeshaya and one being the king of Yehuda, it's a Chiddush that they were brothers. Says the Gemara, Michael Mashman, who cares? Well, we have to know every Jewish tree over here, who cares? Says the Gemara, Kiyadam Rabishwab and Akhwinam Rabbiokhan. And he tells us it supports what Rabbiokhan said. If there's a bride who is modest in her father in law's house, meaning that she's such a modest person that even when she's amongst family, right, she's amongst her father in law's family, she still continues her modesty. If she does that, she'll have tremendous chosim. She will merit to have kings and prophets from her descendants. Where do we see this idea of Minalan? Where do we see this? Meet Tamar. We learn this from Tamar. What's the story with Tamar and Yudah? The Pasuk says, by Yudah, Yudah saw, remember the whole story, right? She was married to Yudah's two sons, and then there was a third son she should have, she should have married, and Yudah wasn't letting, and she was upset about it, so she went on the derech. She dresses up like a zona, like a harlot. Yehuda thinks she's a harlot, and he sleeps with her, right? So the Pasuk says, zona. He thought Tamar was a zona. Why did he think she was a zona? Because she covered her face. Now, that meaning in the Pasuk seems very difficult. When a person covers their face, you don't think they're a harlot. Opposite. The harlot is trying to, to get your attention. How do we understand the verse? Because she covered her face, therefore he thought she was a harlot? That doesn't make sense. Ella, what's the pshat? Tamar had always previously covered her face whenever she was around Yehuda. She was extremely modest and she never, Yehuda really never knew what she looked like. So because of that, now what happened? He didn't know who she was. So when he saw her on the street, she didn't realize it was his own daughter-in-law. So what was the schus of all this, this whole story? What happened was, the Tamar merited to have both kings and prophets from her descendants. So there was all the schus that she was so modest that she had, that she had, that she had kings and, 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 and prophets. Now, Shiloh is, obviously she had kings, right? She has David and Malpah. Where did she have prophets? Who, what prophet comes from? Tamar. So that's why we need to know that Amos and Amasa were brothers. We know about the kings from David. That's one of her descendants, right? Zerah, Peretz, all that. It all goes to David. But the question is, what's with the Nevi'im? The Nevi'im, So once I know Amos and Amasa are brothers, so now it's all good because I know that Amatia was from King David. He was one of the Malchayuda. So he, the king, is from her. So if I know that, 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 that Amot's is the father of Yeshaya, and he is the brother of Amatia. Now I know that she has also prophets coming from her because Yeshaya was the, was, was the nephew of Amatia, so it's one of her descendants as well. And Yeshaya obviously is the big Navi. Continues the Gemara of Amar Levi, another thing. Very interesting idea. There was a miracle which took place in the Kodesh HaKadoshim that somehow the Makam of the Aron occupied no space. It's like a, a, it's like metaphysics here. How like this works? You know, you have like an iron in the middle of the room, and you measure it. it. Didn't take up any space. How do we know this? We'll see in a second. Because the Bryce says that there were ten amos of space on every side of the iron between it and the walls. So and so 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 you, if that's true, we'll have to see. Obviously, the iron itself took up space. But the problem is, what does it say? It says the area in front of the partition was 20 amas long and 20 amas wide. So the whole Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Pasuk says, was 20 by 20 amas. So if the whole thing is 20 by 20 amas, 
then that doesn't make any sense because the Aaron's in the middle and there's 10 Amos to each side. But how much space did the Aaron take up? If the whole room is 20 by 20, how could it be that there's 10 Amos from every side to the wall if the Aaron takes up some space? It must be, it doesn't take up space. Now, the Maestro, the Gemara quotes another Pesach here, which is really unclear what, why it's even quoted. Uksiv, by the way, it says, it says about the wings of the Kruvim that each one of them were 10 Amos long. It's super unclear why the Gemara had to quote that. No clue why the Gemara needed that. In other words, the Pshah and the Gemara is that if it's, the room is 20 by 20, how could it be that there was 10 Amas from every side to the wall? That doesn't make sense. That itself is proof that it didn't take up space. So where is the Aaron standing? It was miraculously not taking up any room. All right, now we're going to get to a fascinating thing. We darshaned one thing in the Megillah, Vahivim is bad. But now we're actually going to introduce how a bunch of Amoram used to give introductions to their Shiurim on Megillah. Meaning it seems like the Amoram would expound the Megillah for the Talmudim. They would teach them and expound on the, on the verses. But they were very into showing another piece of scripture which they were able to expound upon as a reference to the Purim holiday. And they would, uh, they would darshan that as an introduction before they would start the, 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 the Megillah. So we start with Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan. He introduced his, 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 his shiurim here on the book of Esther by dashing the following Pasuk. What Pasuk? It's a Pasuk in Yeshaya. What am I going to do? I'll cut off from Bavel all their names, all their relatives, all their children, and anything, anything future from them. Hashem says, I will get rid of everything from Bavel. Again, historically very important to remember this. The Babel destroys the first base of Mikdash. Eventually, after Nebuchadnezzar, after Morodach, there's another king called Belshazzar. Belshazzar's daughter is Vashti. Achashverosh leads an uprising. He was one of like the stable boys. Eventually, there's an uprising against Belshazzar. Belshazzar is killed, assassination. The, the daughter is spared. Achashverosh ends up marrying her. He's marrying into the Babylonian Empire. And it's interesting because he ends up forging his own empire. It's like this conflict here. The whole, just to give more depth to what the Gemara is doing, the whole sight of the first parak of the fight between Achashverosh and Vashti is who's, the, who's in control, what's the royalty? Vashti sees that you're just a continuation of my legacy of the Babylonian empire. And what's happening is Achashverosh is trying to establish his own empire. And that's the whole, the whole power struggle that's going on. It has to be understood from that background. It's very important. So in any ways, this is why it's such an important introduction. You have to see the Pazik says, Hashem says, I'm going to destroy all above all. Shame, Zaxab. The script, the Babylonian script is, is gone. They're going to use foreign script at the, later on. Shares Alashan. That means language because language is usually used with your relatives. Nids and Malchus. Their king will be destroyed. Vanechad Zuvashti. That's the Yusayid. The Yusayid is that the, the, the assassination of Vashti, right? The, the execution of Vashti is the end of the Babylonian Empire. That's very important to see that, that, the, that this is the changing of the empires as that's the introduction to the Purim story. Says the Gemara, he expounds his introduction from a different Pasuk. We say this from Yeshaya, right? The Haftorah of a fast day. Instead of a thorn, there's going to be a good, beautiful type of tree. Instead of, a, instead of a thorny thing, there's going to be some sort of rose. Instead of the, the thorn, that's Haman. He made himself an Avodah He made himself an idol. A thorn is an idol. So we see in that context, the Ishaya, somehow we see that the thorn relates to idolatry. So instead of Haman, Yal Verosh, who's Verosh? Is that Mordechai? Virosh, Senek Virosh, Lachal Psalm, and Mordechai is the finest of all spices. Why? Shinemar, it says, it says in the, by the Katoras, take spices, Mar Duror, right? That's one of the spices. 
What's marjorah, a type of mirror, a type of spice? If you look at the targum, it says mari dechi. The identification of the spice that was used to smell good is mari dechi. So the name of Mordechai, Mordechai, which is obviously Mari Dechi, it's the same letters, Mordechai is related to the spice, the good smelling spice that's used. Mari Dechi, that's a source actually, the Gemara Kulin says, for Mordechai's existence from the Torah. So Yale Verosh, that is going to replace the thorn, the spice will replace the thorn, it means that the good smelling spice of Mordechai will replace Haman. That's the whole theme, the whole sight of the Megillah, that instead of the Zara of Haman, we're going to have the good smelling Keteris from Mordechai. Tachas hasirpa, that's tachas v'ashi v'ashim v'ashim v'chanesha, sh'esar fatibas v'esel lokinu, t'chsir v'fida sozah, the sirpad, is instead of Vashti, the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the base of Mikdash, where we see that that's Redifa. Instead of that, there's going to be a Hadas. So Esther Asadekis, that's Esther. Esther is the Hadas. Her name was Hadasa, another name. So she was like that. So she is replacing Vashti. There's going to be a wonderful Kiddush Hashem from this. There's going to be the Mikra Megillah. It's going to be an eternal legacy. What is that a reference to? They made Purim. Purim is forever in the Jewish holiday. It's not just a story which is forgotten. About is forever celebrated. Continues the Gemara a few more here. This is the Pasuk in the Torah. What does it say? The same way Hashem will rejoice to do good to you, so too He will rejoice to harm you. So it's part of the, the, the Torah. Hashem is going to hurt us. So what does that mean? Hashem rejoice when, when there's a downfall to the wicked people. The Pasuk says, So it says, and the Pasuk, King Yoshavat here is fighting a war and everyone's going out and they're thinking Hashem. It just says, So we all in, in, in instinctively continue because there's a lot of other Pesukim that finish that. But this Pasuk doesn't have the Kitov. It just says, Where's the Kitov? The answer is, there's no Kitov. Hashem's not happy when, there's a, when, the, when the wicked have a downfall. That's what we say. So we learn from there that we're not happy when Hashem destroys the wicked people. So what does the Pasuk mean that Hashem is going to be happy when He destroys the wicked people? Another, another Pasuk. The Pasuk by Kriyas Yamsef. So it says, usually it's a reference to angels, right? That's, that's angels. So what does it mean? the angels didn't go close to another. So it means, at the time the, the Egyptians were drowning, the angels wanted to sink. My handiwork is drowning at sea. So even though this is good for the Jews, but other people are being in pain, there's, the downfall of the wicked is not something to rejoice for. So how could it say that the Pasuk and the Tochah says, Hashem will rejoice when he's harming you? How could that be? Hashem doesn't rejoice at the downfall of the wicked. The answer is, Amar Belazar, who ain't us? HaKadosh Baruch does not rejoice himself personally. Avalachim, he says, he makes other people happy. So in other words, what happened was, in, 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 in the times of Haman, and this is why it's an introduction, when there was this threat of annihilation on the Jews, HaKadosh Baruch obviously was not happy. It's not Pashup Shad that the Ebishah is happy to destroy us. That's not what it means. But all of our enemies were so happy about it. That's the Yisrael. We should understand that this is the fulfillment of the Pasuk and the Tochacha. Obviously, the calamity we were spared and we weren't annihilated. But the, the threat, that was fulfilled. That was a reference to the story of Purim when everybody was so happy that the threat, that when the threat of annihilation was placed upon the Jews. The Pasuk here, Pasuk in Koelas, he says that a person who pleases Hashem, he give, Hashem gives him wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Who is that? It's Mordechai Tzadik. 
But to the sinner, Hashem gave the urge to gather people together. Is that Haman? That was Haman's whole thing that he wanted to control everybody. To give good, the, the, the sinner should pass on in, in front of the, to the good person. That that he, Haman gave all of his stuff to Mordechai. Literally, all of Haman's estate went to Mordechai and Esther. Another one, Hashem says, I'm going to give a throne in Elam. I will destroy in Elam a king and a prince. So Shushan, which is where Achashverosh was, that's Elam, right? That's the thing. That's that's a different uh, uh, kingdom here. So Melech, Zuvashi, these were all the people that were destroyed. Even though I'm giving my throne there, means I'm establishing the throne of Achashverosh. And that obviously was not destroyed in the in the, in the Pasuk. But this happened that the Haman and the sons were killed. One more, top of the We have a Pasuk in Ezra. It says that Hashem, we were slaves, but Hashem didn't deserve us and he was able to save us. Amos, I, what did all this happen? Was Haman. This possibly simply a reference to Haman. So all these things, and we're going to pick up from them tomorrow, don't worry, are all just a good preface, an introduction to the learning of the Megillah and everybody's picking a different possible by which to expound their introduction to the study of Megillah's Esther.